very, very excited for this edition of the On Fire Podcast, as I know you are, Derek Togerson, because we get a chance to talk to one of our favorite people to talk to, whether it be on this podcast or in the clubhouse or crossing paths whenever we have the uh, pleasure and the delight to do so. Uh, so don't want to waste any precious moments. First things first, though, got to show love to the sponsor of the On Fire Podcast. That is, of course, OGs. Order OGs for your next big game party or come in to watch whatever the big game might be. Got March Madness coming up. They've launched a featured menu item that is highlighting three limited items at OGs. Buffalo cauliflower, a charcuterie board, even a cold brew espresso martini. These items are only available for a limited time at select OGs locations and you can also head to ogs.com to sign up and download the ogs app you can visit your local ogs eat pizza drink beer and earn rewards ogs rewards available at select ogs locations Thank you for checking out the On Fire podcast. I'm Darnay Tripp. He is Derek Tokerson. How are you feeling, Derek? The suspense is killing me. Bring him in. All right, let's bring him in. Um, I was. I wish I'd had a chance to run into him in Peoria, but we just missed each other, and so glad we get a chance to make up for it now. Uh, it is one of our favorites. Bob Scanlon does a fantastic hey, job. Scan. Uh, the suspense was killing me. Let me in. Let me in. Always great to talk with you guys. How's it like, going? Who is it? Tell me. <laughs> it's not Fernando Tatis Jr. I'm it sorry. Isn't. Let yeah. down. No, not at all. Not at all. Always a pleasure, Scan. And I appreciate it. I reached out to you yesterday and, and uh, appreciate you doing this on short notice and getting a chance to kind of pick your brain about a team that has, uh, there's just so many interesting kind of storylines and subplots, not just with this team, but with baseball as a whole, with the rule changes. And, and you're one of the folks that's kind of unique qualified to talk about it given that you've kind of been in these guys shoes before and so you could shed light on on how all this stuff uh would, would impact you as a player um so thanks so much for sharing some of your time you, you've been in peoria now for uh, a couple few weeks you've you've seen the games you've been on the broadcasts um what, what's top of mind what's the first thing when when somebody runs into you and says hey how are the pods uh what what's the first thing that uh that comes off your tongue would you say well first of all it's great to talk with you guys thanks for the invitation as always and second of all you'd said well you know i'm a guy that's been there before and to be honest with you i was in the big leagues but i was never in a clubhouse like this before i mean that's <laughs> that's the thing that's so amazing the first day out there you're watching batting practice and in the cage you've got nelson cruz manny machado xander bogarts fernando tatis jr i mean it, it you know juan soto like wait what's going on here? This looks like an all-star game event or something. So uh, just the star quality that is here in camp is pretty impressive under any circumstances, uh, but even more so, quite frankly, for the Padres. I mean, this has not been the general MO of this organization for, for its lifetime, for the most part. Uh, what Peter Seidler has been able to do uh, to, to make every effort to bring championship baseball here, of course, in conjunction with A.J. Preller and his staff to try to get the right pieces and put them in place. But certainly Peter saying, hey, what do you need? Let's get this done. Uh, it's unprecedented, and it's certainly something special to see. And we're, we're all the beneficiaries of it, aren't we, guys? I mean, Padre fans are enjoying it, and, and the fact that we get a chance to talk about 
this type of an exciting team with this type of talent uh, is certainly something unique and, and very special and a lot of fun. Now, a lot of things you want to get to here. First one, you just kind of brought up the guy's name and Peter Seidler. When are people going to stop questioning him and asking him, what, how are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Has he not proven yet at this point that this is how the Potters are going to be run? Everybody else can just go to hell if they don't like it. Yeah, yeah, and that's pretty much his attitude, right? He goes, you know, I, I don't really worry about what other people say. I don't really worry about what other people are doing with their ball clubs. And I think the press conference that we just saw the other day introducing or reintroducing Manny and, and his extension with the team sort of puts another exclamation point on that. Because when you think about it, Manny was really the cornerstone piece, right? I mean, Eric Hosmer was the first guy that they brought in who was an outside free agent that they, they opened up the pocketbooks for and said, okay, our, our window for winning is here. And to make that statement, we're going to go out and get one of the top free agents that was available that year, bring him in and, and show everybody that we're putting our money where our mouth is. The rebuild is over. It's time to start winning. And here's our first, you know, effort to let major league baseball know and let other players know this is a destination place that you want to come, not just to have nice weather, right? <laughs> not just to get the, uh, the, the great tri-tip, um, and, and, you know, not just to have a, a beautiful stadium and everything, but you want to win baseball games. You want to win a championship. This is going to be a place that you want to be. And the next piece that they brought in was Manny. And that was really the eye opener. That was the one I think that really shocked the industry in terms of, okay, that's not just sort of a nice token effort. This, this is the biggest contract in the history of the sport being put forth by the San Diego Padres. On the other side of that coin also was, think about Manny. Manny's out there and he's got an opportunity to go anywhere he wants. And yet he's being given a story, basically, by Peter Seidler and A.J. Preller and Ron Fowler at the time. And they're, they're saying, hey, trust us. We're going to do this. Come on over here. Trust us. We're going we're gonna to put together something that's really never existed in the history of this organization, but trust us. And Manny did. And he came over here. And the reason this extension happens is because of two sides, right? Manny holding up on his end of the bargain of, of being an incredible player, doing everything that's asked of him in the clubhouse, on the field, in the community, uh, and putting up an MVP season last year. But the flip side of that is, Manny's coming back because Peter Seidler and A.J. Preller held up their end of the bargain as well. They've put together a team around him and an organization around him uh, that's saying, hey, we're, we're men of our word and we are going after championship baseball here. Not just sort of, not just kind of, not just, you know, if, if, if it's convenient, they're going for it. And so to see that press conference and to see both sides basically embracing each other and saying, hey, Manny, thanks for holding up your end of the bargain and Manny saying, Hey, Peter and AJ, thanks for holding up your end of the bargain and being able to come together. Uh, that was a pretty poignant moment, I think in Padres baseball and really uh, put an emphasis and a spotlight on what this has all been about. And I think also was helpful in putting to rest any potential distractions that could have been going on over the course of this season uh, in terms of, Hey, this is no joke. We're going for it. And we're, we're signing back our cornerstone guy, the guy that we started to build this organization around He's he's doing it. He wants to be a part of this thing as well. Uh, so it was, I thought, a really poignant moment for the organization. I, I, I was I was, you know, as I was listening to the Machado presser and um, yeah, I kept thinking, you know, he's been so impressive in, in so many different ways. Obviously, his productivity and the way he shows up, the leadership piece uh, we, we talk about a lot. And I just thought, you know. And not that I heard any criticism or anybody saying anything snide, but 
I just thought if if people would set aside um, their preconceived notions, whatever biases, whatever you think about Manny Machado, whatever aspect of his reputation, you know, has has followed him to the people that just want to cling to that and not actually watch what he's doing and how he's conducting himself. If you just objectively listen to that press conference, you'd be like, that's the dude you want leading your team. I mean, he hit all the right notes just in terms of obviously the goals, wanting to be around. He could have easily gone and left and probably gotten more money, wanted to kind of see this thing through. Uh, the credit he gave to teammates, the the credit he gave to Bob Melvin, A.J. Preller, Peter Seidler. Um, there's, he just he, – he said all the right things, and he – it's it's hard because you know we didn't know him to the extent that we do now you know having watched him closely for four years but there would appear to be kind of this maturation process this growth into that leadership role and you know a guy that people have have said a lot of things about uh continues to be like this model citizen in terms of like how you conduct yourself what you say and what you do when you're in that position i don't know about you but that like that resonated a lot with me and and you touched on it as well saying like i want to get this out of the way so it wasn't just a distraction to me but to my teammates as well um he just did it all the right way and when you look at the value of the contract and, and it, it came up through the course of the press conference that in and of itself, you know, allows them to be flexible and, and to, to pay more guys. And so I think just on so many different levels, it is impressive what we've seen and what we've continued to hear from Manny Machado. And that's kind of what stuck with me from, from Tuesday. Yeah. You hit on a lot of really, I think important points there and, and really nailed them Darnay, in terms of uh, the maturation process of Manny. And we all had preconceived notions, didn't we? I mean, we do have all players before they get here. I and mean, there's a ton of guys, right, that we don't like them. We're not on the other team. But then when he comes over here and you see what he, okay, you know, you have a different percep or perception. And quite frankly, we've had it the other way around also, haven't we? At least I have in terms mm-hmm. of I see a player on the other side and I just think this, this guy's the greatest. And you hear all kinds of, you know, wonderful things. And then he gets over here and maybe not as advertised. Mm-hmm. So um, I think we definitely have seen uh, a maturation process in Manny. As a player, but I think to your point, even more importantly, as a leader of the ball club. And even, and it's not just from when he was 20 or 21, even since his presence here in the Padres, I think we've seen a lot of that. And I think that was emphasized by the turnout of his teammates for that mm. press conference the other day. It wasn't three or four guys, it was almost the entire team. I mean, the entire back part of that press conference room was filled with, with his teammates. And when it was all said and done, when it was over, there were applause. And again, it wasn't just, uh, okay, you know, that's nice golf clap, golf clap. It was a roar and it went on and it was authentic. And I think that really resonates in terms of the connection that he's made with his teammates, his teammates understanding what he does on the field on a, on a nightly basis. That's the thing that I think that's really impressed me the most watching him uh, play all the time is just how often he is out there. I don't even say feeling not hundred percent, but flat out hurt. Mm. And you would never know. And the guy just, he, he, he balls. He's a gamer. He gets it done. I mean, even when he was asked to play short right field for a season, two years ago, <laughs> he spent half of his time going back and forth. Right. I mean, that takes a toll. He never complained. He just played his tail off. Um, so yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And, and the whole tone of that press conference, I thought all three people that are up at the desk, Peter Seidler was amazing. Mm. Manny, as he said, just really stood up and said all the right things, but it wasn't just lip service. It was, uh, from the maturity that he's gained. And I think the appreciation 
um, that he has for the situation. I thought I always when guys start their press conferences, I I'm always curious what the first words out of their mouth are. And a lot of times it's, well, I've really worked hard to earn this and, you know, that type <laughs> of thing. But I always appreciate it when the first words out of the guy's mouth are thank you. And that's mm. what it was for Manny. Thank you to Peter. Thank you to AJ. Thank you to his family. Thank you to his teammates. Thank you to the fans of San Diego. Um, so that really resonated with me. And I think it was coming from the heart. So I, I think you're absolutely right. It was a, it was, it was a great um, expression of what the organization is, is doing from all sides, Peter, Manny, and AJ, who was up on the, on the uh, podium as well, of course. Yeah, you mentioned Peter and, and Derek mentioned, you know, doubting Peter Seidler. And one of my favorite quotes from the press conference was him talking about, you know, we want to be in a position where objective viewers say, yeah, the Padres are in it. They're one of those teams and we want to be high on that list. And our goal is to be there year in and year out. Mm -hmm. And just that commitment, you know, and and because that's all you can really ask for. Right. As a fan, like you never know what's going to happen when you get to the CS. You never know what's going to happen right. when you get to the World, World Series. And that's what Manny said. Like, it's really hard. But, you know, Seidler is is committed or shown a commitment to make sure the Padres are in position to at least compete and, and, you know, potentially to, to contend. And that's all you really want um, as a fan base. And, you know, the fact that he's gotten all these deals done and now Musgrove and Darvish and you make a trade for Bogarts and, and obviously the Tatis deal going back a couple years and the Soto trade and now locking down Manny when, you know, there's reason to maybe have some, fear that for whatever reason it's it's not going to work out now to Derek's point like it seems like you could never really go into one of these situations and be like well I don't know if they can pull it off because they've managed to do it and not only do it like Darvish shed some AAV Machado barely bump his average value and now just when you when you project kind of their payroll for a few years it's like okay the money could be there for a soto or or whoever else which uh i just think is is incredible and and you you now have reason to believe and have faith in ownership in the front office whenever one of these situations like they can probably figure it out because they've done it to this to this point. Yeah, you, you figure it out and let's not get complacent and just think it's as easy as Peter just writing a check. Right. <laughs> it I makes mean, it look easy. <laughs> it makes it look easy, but it, it, it clearly isn't. And there's a lot of, um, you know, thought that goes into it. And, you know, they got some creativity as well. Right. In terms of, as you mentioned, uh, lengthening out the length of the contracts to lower the average annual value of those contracts, which not only allows you a little bit more freedom right now to help your payroll, but also keeps you under the luxury tax so that you're not throwing more, more money away, uh, paying taxes on all that kind of um, salary and payroll and everything. So yeah, very creative, no question about it. And again, Manny was allowed, uh, allowed them to be more creative of it on his side in terms of taking a much lower AAB mm. over the next three years to try to assist in that. And not, not to get too far into the weeds, but this whole topic of the contracts and how they're being constructed does bring up an interesting topic in terms of Major League Baseball actually has it in the CBA and the Players Association agreed to it, of course, that neither the players nor the teams are really supposed to manipulate contracts in such a way that they are starting to get under the tax. Right. Mm -hmm. But but clearly some of that may be going on with some of these longer contracts that we're seeing. So it's sort of a it's a little bit of a tipping point. And I think that the um, Major League Baseball actually has brought it to the attention in a couple of situations where they said, mm -hmm. no, nah, that, that's a little bit too much gamesmanship there. Um, and the other part of it is Manny, again, taking less money at the front of this thing. That is not something that the Players Association in general has really been a fan of, of players. Mm -hmm 
purposely taking less money when they're told by ownership, hey, if you take a little less money, we can spend it more on players <laughs> and you're going to win because that starts lowering player salaries with the pressure of, hey, if we don't win, it's your fault as a player because you're mm. taking too much. So, um, But they were able to find that balance of Manny still getting the full value of the contract that he's deserving of and structuring it in such a way that it, it helps the organization now to continue to uh, be able to put that kind of a quality product on the field for the hopefully many years, as, as uh, Peter has said. Just got a text from Derek saying internet is out on his entire street. So if you're watching the stream, that's why Derek has disappeared. And if you're listening <laughs> to the podcast, that's why we haven't heard from Derek in an unusually stretch of time, a usually long stretch of time without hearing from Derek Tokerson. usually finds a way to chime in at some point. Well, I love, yeah, I was, he vanished from us. I <laughs> thought, oh my gosh, he's, he's boycotting me. I'm sorry, Derek. <laughs> Just It's you and me for the time being, and, and hopefully he'll chime back in. Um, okay. On uh, on Soto, I won't ask you to predict what the structuring of his deal will be like, but I will ask you uh, how impressive has this guy been because he's looked every bit like Juan Soto so far in these spring training games. Um, yeah, I was joking with him yesterday in the broadcast because I think he was six for seven at that point, hitting 800 <laughs> or something coming into the ball game, And he, he, he made an out yesterday. And then today mm. he had two more hits today before he finally made it out. So I was having some fun with that on Twitter today as well. But yeah, he's... He's been absolutely on fire. And Grant, what, what do we always say? It's spring training. It doesn't mean anything. We get it. You know, the numbers are low with some guys. It doesn't matter if they're high with some guys. It doesn't matter. But when you've got a guy who's been one of the best hitters in baseball over the last five years and you see him crushing line drives all over the field to start mm -hmm. spring training, I'm, I'm tending to think it's just not a fluke, right? It's not just some guy. Having, oh, he's just having a hot 10 days. Nothing to, to look at here. This guy, I think, is coming in with a mission. He didn't put up the numbers that he wanted to last year. Um, and even though he was a contributor, I think in his mind, and most people would say that there's even more that he can uh, give and do at the plate. And I think he's coming in with a mission of saying, I'm going to get that done. It helps, of course, the World Baseball Classic is going on. So all of these guys are a little bit more prepared, right, to be able mm. to compete and represent their countries. Um, but I think I think you're going to see a, a pretty motivated Juan Soto uh, this year. And so far, that's that's what we've seen here in the early part of spring. Yeah, OPS, I think, north of 2,000 as we record this on Thursday. We've <laughs> seen, seen the homer, uh, a couple doubles, and just yeah. uh, making consistent contact. And, you know, we, we got a glimpse today of pretty impressive one, two, three with, you know, as we record this on Thursday with Fernando and Soto and Machado. And I think that was probably most folks best guess as to you know how this lineup stacks up with you know maybe Bogarts in the four spot or yeah and those guys in 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 some combination um you've been a major league pitcher how 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 much would you not want to run into you know a one through four and however they're they're situated no, that, that is a murderer's row right there. And Bob's kind of joked also, you know, you can take those first four guys and just throw them into a hat and pick out whatever you want. It's going to be a tough lineup to face because, look, usually as, a, as an opposing pitcher, for me, when I'm looking at a starting lineup or, or any, even as a reliever, a little bit less because you're in certain situations, you might face pinch hitters. But still, um, you're looking at it and say, OK, who do I not want to let beat me? Who can I pitch around if I need to in certain situations? And it's going to be different depending on what the situation is. Hey, he's back. <laughs> there, we welcome hope. back, buddy. Hopefully, and hopefully for now. My, yeah, my neighbor came running out here going, where's the bleepity bleep internet? So apparently it's down in my entire street here. Um, so yeah. I just, just got on a little personal hotspot. We'll see how long it lasts. 
<laughs> All right. Good to have you back, buddy. Hey, we were just talking yeah. about the uh, this line as a pitcher, you know, what you were looking at facing it. And I was just saying that, uh, you know, normally you're looking for that weak spot and it can, it can depend in certain situations of the game, uh, depending on ten, hitters tendencies. You know, this is who I don't want to face early in the game for this reason. This is who I want to, you know, a little more careful of later in the game and how I've pitched to him, blah, blah, blah. But when you're looking at those guys, there's nobody to pitch around. I mean, every one of those guys is damage causing. Um, and it takes a toll because you realize I've got less margin for error and there's no place for me to escape. If I fall behind in the count to, to Fernando, okay, I'm going to walk him to what? Get to Juan Soto? Okay, now if I fall behind in the count to him, I'm going to walk him to get to Manny? Okay, and it, you know, now I've got two runners on. I'm going to pitch around somebody else to get to Bogarts. There's no escape. At some point, you've got to go after guys and you're going to have to make pitches. The more pitches you make, the more likely to make a mistake. And these are guys that don't miss mistakes. And it fatigues you as well because you realize batter after batter after batter, I've got to be pinpoint. I can't afford to make a mistake. And it mentally can take a toll as well. The other thing that's going to be interesting, totally regardless of who's hitting, is this this pitch clock, which is speeding everything up for guys. And when you're facing a lot of batters like that as a pitcher, there's times where you need to step off the mound, take a breath, evaluate what's going on, think about what you want to throw next. You don't have that luxury anymore. So, um, yeah, you put it all together, and it, it should be pretty impressive. You know, I think it was the second game, the first game of spring training, the, the, the Friars put up nine runs in the second inning or something like that. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was thinking that might not be the last time we see that, <laughs> you know. And that's what good teams do. How often have we seen the Padres pitching staff have to hang on to 2-1 leads, 3-2 leads, one nothing lead? And every pitch of the game is pressure filled and the game is on the line. It is nice over the course of the season when you face some some teams that you should crush and you do. It's nice as a pitching staff to have that breather of, wow, I've got a four or five run lead. I can afford to, to relax a little bit here, still make pitches or I can work on the curveball a little bit more. But the entire game isn't on my shoulders every single pitch. And that will certainly help over the course of the season, not only the starters, but the relievers, too, and how Bob Melvin can use his bullpen. Yeah, as, as you know, Bob, not all pitches are the same. Even if it's if it's Craig Stammen in the seventh inning, the a three-two game is more stressful than a seven-two game. It, it's just the, it, there's more stress on the arm, there's more stress on what you because you're feeling more pressure on your body. With this pitch clock thing, um, I think there's going to be a premium on guys who command their stuff in the strike zone because they're. The, I think of I think of Blake Snell, where it's 2 nibble, nibble, nibble foul ball, foul ball, foul ball, nibble, walk, or, or ball gets put in play. And you'll see him 30, 35 pitches in an inning. Is he going to have to learn, and, and many other guys are going to have to learn, when you have to throw more pitches in a shorter amount of time, it's like doing interval training, right? Is he going to have to be forced into, my stuff is damn good, put in the strike zone and see what happens? Um, to, so in general, yes, uh, with Blake specifically, I think part of the issue also is that his stuff is so darn nasty that guys can't square it up, you know, as right. opposed to, um, you know, I'm, I'm an average guy and I know guys are going to make contact. Let me just try to make it as soft as possible because I know I can get the ball put in play. Let, let me keep it down on the ground. Let me keep them out in front. Um, that was how I pitched. I was not a strikeout guy. So I knew, okay, within the first two or three pitches, I can throw a power sinker, a splitty, a slider, something that the guy is going, he's going to hit it. And, and I just, my goal was to keep it off the barrel. Whereas Blake, 
his stuff is so filthy. Guys just don't hit it. I mean, it's not, mm-hmm. you know, that he's trying to go deep into counts. It's it, he's just not a guy because of the quality of his stuff that he is going to get a lot of early quick outs in general. But to your point, it is going to be even more important for all pitchers, I believe, to yes, attack, go after guys. Um, because again, this, especially as the game goes on, when you don't have that extra time to take that breather, when you're at pitch 80, uh, when you're in the, the 25th pitch of an inning, regardless of when it is in the game, no doubt about it. The other interesting thing, Derek, that we've, that we've seen a little bit of in spring training, and I'm curious if it's going to be a, a trend or not. And I was actually talking to Julio Tehran about this the other day is the momentum of the pitch clock, both for and against pitchers. If you're feeling good and you're mowing, give me the ball. Let's get on the mound. Give me a sign. Boom. Out, out, out. You're carving guys up. And the opposite holds true when you're not doing well on the mound, right? You need that extra time to breathe, but now you don't have that luxury. So I'm curious if we're going to see guys who are on a roll, this is actually going to help them to stay locked in and on a roll. And guys who are struggling or their momentum goes against them, that it's going to snowball even more quickly. And I'm curious to see if that's something that managers are going to have to keep an eye on in terms of, hey, when things start to unravel for guys now, it's going to happen just physically faster because of the clock, but also emotionally faster because when you're out there and you're struggling, you don't get that chance to take that breath. You've got to keep going. And so some might be a curious little thing to keep an eye on as, as this develops. Yeah, I was, was going to say bigger, bigger issue, mental or physical with this pitch clock. Um, so far, it's not been much of a factor either way. And I think because starters are only going two or three innings. Right. And for the most part, guys have they've embraced it. Uh, the pitchers I've seen in the first outing that they've had, all of them, they're working fast. And like, let's there's they're so conscious of it that they want to make sure they don't get caught late. And so they're pitching very early. Now in the second and third times out, I've seen guys, all right, I'm a little more comfortable with this. I've got a few extra seconds to play with here. And so they're getting closer and closer to having three seconds on the clock, two seconds on the clock, one second on the clock, because they're getting the, the rhythm of it, so to speak. Um, so I think as time goes on, though, and, and as you're talking about, Derek, starters especially as it, go, it gets longer and you're at pitch 60, 70, 80, 95, 100, whatever it is, I, I think it's going to be both. I think it's going to be physical for some guys towards the end, but I think also regardless of how what your pitch count is at mentally, if things are not going well in a certain inning, you have got to really lock in because you're not going to have that chance to step off and catch your breath and, and evaluate. It's just not available to you anymore. So I think it's going to be different for different guys. I don't know if you saw the video of Tucapita Marcano striking out in about 20 seconds today. Uh, our buddy pitching ninja Rob Friedman tweeted it out. And uh, I don't know who was pitching, but he was wasting no time. And it, I think it was a three pitch at bat that lasted all of like 20, 25 seconds. It was it was incredible. My yeah. my one question slash concern, I think it's something other people have because you've you know, you've had people say, oh, well, part of baseball is kind of the, the tempo and kind of the more, I don't know if relax is the right word for it, but um, I guess my question is like, if, if it's, you know, that first Dodgers series and it's a two, one game in the eighth inning, if it's September in a big series and certainly in the postseason, when like we are used to kind of letting the action breathe a little bit and, you know, a, a pitcher is six innings in and it's a one run ball game or it's a, a close situation or save situation or what have you. Um, where generally there's a bit more of a pace uh, to the game and there's a bit more kind of thought and time put into everything. 
is there any concern from your standpoint that maybe it does feel rushed and kind of that that moment and the thickness of the tension of that moment is is you know uh sacrificed a little bit for the pacing of the game which yeah. i'm very much in favor for totally you know as as a totality i just worry about those situations well, maybe it'll, it'll give Buck Showalter less time to make a dumb decision like checking Joe Musgrove's ears. <laughs> That's a great point, Derek. Um, yeah, it's a great question, you guys. And I, I think to your point, I'm curious to see if that's something that does get altered a little bit as this plays out. Because we knew early on that there was going to be a game that was going to be decided at some point on a violation right and it mm -hmm. didn't take long what was it day three of spring training the boston and atlanta game day, day two yes day two right <laughs> i mean it's it no time getting to that point and i think everybody's up and i'm like we can't have this anymore this is ridiculous um and certainly that's frustrating but at the same time to your your point darnay it's it's more um is it more important the spirit of the law or the letter of the law at that point right because that is what we've built up to for two hours to get to the eighth mm. inning or to get to the ninth inning and to have this bases loaded. The tension is there. That's what we love as baseball fans, isn't it? I mean, that's that's the payout for watching the previous uh, two hours. I mean, previously three hours, right, uh, of baseball to get to that point. And do you want to be cheated out of that? I don't think so. I, I want to be able to really feel that tension and enjoy it and relish it. And it, that that's what we're there for that's the that's the the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow right so i am curious to see if that's something that gets adjusted over time but for now major league baseball and the players association have said these are the rules we're sticking with them um, i think they're going to play it out and give it a try for a while but certainly something to keep an eye on uh because we don't want to lose that do we that mm. that, that those great moments of the game but we we were all at playoff games at petco park we all i was at playoff games in in new york and and in philly and it, yeah, it's almost like if you take too much time between pitches, the crowd wants to be in it, right? It will, they, when Josh Hader comes on the mound in the ninth inning, the pinnacle pro crowd wants to be down Freddie Freeman's throat constantly. Well, if he can step out and take 30, 35 seconds, it's almost like it's, he's trying to take the crowd out. Oh, no. uh oh, uh oh, are we losing him? <laughs> we lost him. <laughs> Uh, we can see him, but we can't hear him. We can't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely can't hear him now because I think he might have just thrown the microphone. He's crying. Hey, um, I think he was trying to say is that the players are trying to take the crowd out of it at that point. At least that's the direction it sounded like he was going in, Darnay. Um, that being said, again, for me, that's part of the beauty of those moments, right? I, I just mm. – I love that tension. I love – this guy steps out trying to ice him. So now he steps off the mound trying to get the other guy to think. That's 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 part of the game that I love. I don't need yeah. three and a half to four hours of it necessarily, but certainly <laughs> uh, with the game on the line and playoff situ situations, I know I don't know that fans would, uh, you know, sacrifice be okay sacrificing that I, I don't know what your take on it is yeah yeah for sure no i i want that i want to i want to get lost in it and feel it and then yeah. kind of have that yeah it's i think that's like you said that's kind of what you build up to and i i wouldn't hate the idea of based on the situation adding five or ten seconds you know if it's a if it's a save situation if it's a one or two run ball game if it's a you know Time and score, so to speak, um, letting yeah. that determine, okay, we're going to a 25-second pitch clock. Now, I wouldn't want to do it between at-bats, but maybe it's a 
2-1 game in the eighth inning, and when that's the situation, it's a 25-second pitch clock. Mm -hmm. And even if a team scores six runs and blows it open, so that you're not kind of, you know, going back and forth between, okay, now it's 15 seconds, now it's 25 seconds. Whatever it starts at in that inning, you stick with, and, you know, we can just kind of, everybody can get, you know, adjusted to that in that situation for that inning and uh, potentially for the duration of the game. Um, but, I've got goosebumps just thinking about that, those postseason experiences for the Padres. I mean, as soon as, as, soon as Derek started talking about it, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah man, that, that Dodger game, uh, Jake yeah. getting that hit, Josh Hader coming in, all the time. I mean, that that just man, it makes my my skin tingle. Um, but you you bring up an interesting point, and look who's back. Our man is back. Um, I I would like to think that maybe under consideration would be to, to your point. Okay, if it's the eighth inning or later or the ninth, whatever it is, and it's a safe situation or two runs or less, whatever it is. If there's mm -hmm. if there's reason to think that there's going to be drama in the game at that point and it's justified, then you alter the rules a little bit, like you said, and you add on five extra seconds or something. You know, if yeah. it's the ninth inning and you're up by six, eh, 15 seconds, man, get in there. Let's get this thing over with and let's go home. Yeah. But I, I'm curious to see if that is considered. Good point. I hope so. How's it going, Derek? Can you hear me now? <laughs> we can. Oh, good Lord. You took your mute hey, button. Thanks, That's thanks good. For, thanks for carrying all the water for this one, guys. I've been absolutely no help whatsoever, which is usually the case anyway. But still, this is even more a, a dramatic uh, a situation or example of it. Um, Scan, let me know if you guys have talked about this or not. We talked about all the star power in this lineup and even in, in the pitching staff with the Padres. Um, I think back to like the 2004 Lakers that had Shaq, Kobe, Carl Malone, Gary Payton, and they lost to the Pistons. You know, who there was just a better team overall. Is there any concern with these guys that chemistry is an issue where it's an assemblage of talents, but they don't become a great team as we as you've seen sometimes happen in sports? Well, you use the Laker analogy. How about taking the Yankee analogy for about 15 years? <laughs> George Steinbrenner mm -hmm. was out there just buying guys left and right. And every year there was no question on paper who had the, the best numbers, you know, best guys statistically. And yet, to your point, that's a whole different thing than putting together a winning team. Um, certainly it is something that has to be taken into consideration, and the front office does. I mean, that's part of it in terms of bringing pieces in. How does this piece match in terms of, the, the production on the field, the other guys that we have, but just as importantly, and I know that this doesn't show up on a spreadsheet anywhere, but the, the team chemistry, is this a guy that's going to fit in our clubhouse? Is this a guy that's going to be supportive of his teammates? Is this a guy that's going to, his, his presence is going to create ruffle some feathers because so-and-so has got to go to a different position and all that kind of stuff. Those are all legitimate concerns. And I have not seen one iota of concern with the way this is, hand out, right? Um, Xander Bogarts comes in. You don't hear Hassan Kim complaining about having to slide over to second base. Mm. You've not heard Fernando Tatis Jr. complain at all about having to go to the outfield at this point. Now, granted, there's other other factors in there as well, um, you know, <laughs> motivating him, right? Um, but let's be honest, it, it, it could have been a thing. It, it hasn't been. Jake Cronenworth has said, look, wherever you need me, I, I, second base, first base. He's got a new first baseman's mitt, by the way, guys. Um, so, <laughs> You know, he's he's on board. So I've not seen any of that. And I think that's a credit to first and foremost, the players in the clubhouse. Right. And again, just they understand why they're why they're there. They are there to win a championship. And they know that doesn't happen by complaining and bitching and moaning about my stuff. This is about us. Second of all, you've got a manager in that clubhouse that from day one, his message to this team has been and it's not about you. 
It's about us. And he's been also masterful at working with individuals over the course of the season to make sure they understand what their place is in the team and, and their, what they can provide to the roster. So it's not as though he, he ignores individuals. But the message from day one and how he handled the team and how he moved guys around was, this is about us. Make no mistake. And then also to A.J. Preller and his, and his scouting department for trying to bring in guys that they know are going to be good matches. And Jake's the guy who really – I mean – he effectively is sacrificing his spot in the all-star game because his number is a second base. He's an all-star. His number is a first base. He's got Paul Goldschmidt and Pete Alonzo and Freddie Freeman. And he's got a bunch of guys in front of him. He's not going to match those guys offensively. So he's basically saying, I'll move to first base and I'm not going to the all-star game. And I'm totally cool with that. There's, there's something to be said a lot. And that seems to be kind of pervasive all throughout the entire clubhouse and what I've seen. Yeah, it's, I think you're right, Derek. It's, pervasive throughout the clubhouse and, and especially Jake, Jake, like Jake, Jake, he's the ultimate guy of it's not about me and my hardware. He's a baller. That dude, that kid just loves to play period. Just Forever. don't hit the ball with that Cronenworth guy. Yeah, exactly. Keep it out of the crone zone. Um, like Dave Roberts was saying. Um, so, uh, but I think it's pervasive around this this whole team. I don't think there's a single guy. I can't think of one guy off the top of my head that'd be like, you know, that guy's kind of eye me, and I think he's going to be more worried about his batting average or his home run production or any of that kind of stuff. Every guy in there, it's monofocus. They understand what a unique situation this is, what they have on the line, the opportunity to do something totally special in terms of winning a championship, which is always special, but especially in a city that's never had one. These guys get it. And I think everyone is putting their own personal stuff aside and saying, what do we need to do to win championship baseball? And uh, again, I think you've got the players in the clubhouse and the, and the right man at the helm leading it and Bob Melvin to uh, keep those guys focused like that all season long. Two things I wanted to ask you about before we let you go. One was Joe Musgrove's left big toe. And the other is Fernando Tatis Jr., who uh, Melvin has has raved about really all camp. Mm -hmm. And then he's been very complimentary of his approach at the plate, even though he's, I think, 0 for 4, a couple walks, a couple runs scored, stolen a base, went first to third on a kind of a Soto dribbler to, to center today to set up, you know, the run that he scored. Uh, but Melvin's talked a lot about just kind of his patience and a guy that you would, you know, after 17 months off, you wouldn't be surprised if he was just taking big swings at everything that hasn't been the case. He's worked some counts. Uh, a bit of an adventure in right field today. You know, maybe that's some of the kind of the the elements in Arizona, the wind, the 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 high sky everybody talks about. Um, what was your read on that play? And does that give us some insight on maybe what we should expect as the season goes and, and he makes his transition into being a right fielder? Okay, so you mentioned Joe and Fernando, but I guess we're going to focus on Fernando first, it sounds I'll start like. with Fernando. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah so... I think we all understand what an incredible athlete this kid is. I think we also understand that it is a transition for him to play a new position. And to Fernando's credit and to the other players on the team who I've talked to in terms of this topic of how's it going to go. And I've talked to a couple of the outfielders. Hey, you know, are you, are you guys working with them? What's the situation? Everybody has said, look, Fernando has acknowledged and everybody understands there's going to be some misplays out there. No doubt about it. Bob said it. Fernando said it. It's like, this is part of the learning process. So just accept it. Understand that that's going to happen at the same time. What we're also going to see are some plays that this young man is going to make 
that even the most experienced outfielders could only dream about making because he's going to run the ball down in the gap and catch a ball that nobody else can run down and get to. And then he's going to turn around and he's going to fire it with that cannon arm and he's going to throw the guy out trying to tag up from second base to third base. And it'll be by 10 feet and everyone's going to be looking like, oh my God, what just happened right there? That, that's unbelievable. So I think we're going to get a chance to see both, right? We're going to see some times where it's like, oh, shoot. Oh, okay, that's part of the learning process. And at the same time, we're going to see some players like, oh, my God, did you see that? How he ran that ball? Oh, my gosh, did you see that throw? So I think we're going to get a chance to see both. Not dissimilar to his uh, his growth process as a shortstop. You know, there early on, there were some times where it was like, oh, shoot, what about that throw? And then all, next thing you know, he's getting a ball that nobody else can get to making a throw that nobody else can make to, to record the out. So um, I think we're going to have to have some patience early on, but I also think all said and done, we're going to see a lot of special things out of the young man. And the other thing that you brought up is the patience that he's shown so far. Don't think that this time off has been totally wasted. He's, I think he's hopefully more mature. We've seen it so far at the plate in terms of not going after everything. We've seen it in the live VPs. We've also seen it in the game so far where he's taking his walks. Um, but don't take that for not being aggressive because his first swing of spring training, he swung out of his shoes. <laughs> he was trying to hit the ball 600 feet, which I personally loved because it showed me that he's not concerned about the wrist. He's not con concerned about the shoulder. He is Fernando Tatis Jr., ball player, incredible athlete, and he wants to go out there and play this game the way he's always played this game. And I don't want to say reckless abandon, but uh, at a level that uh, it shows off his athleticism and what he can do just as a special athlete. So hopefully we see the combination of both the patience, a little bit more maturity, along with just that incredible physical talent that he has. And then for Joe, it's the left toe. I would assume for a pitcher, and obviously as a right-handed pitcher, you would know this, um, better, if, if you have to pick one, better to have your land foot with a big toe than your dry foot with a big toe because you're trying to land more in the middle of your foot. You can reinforce the cleat somehow, I suppose. But it's, I mean, it, kettlebell is just going to be outlawed in the Padres locker room now or, or weight room now, right? <laughs> It's not the kettlebell's fault. I used this analogy the other day. It's like a kettlebell first. hunted down Joe Musgrove's toe. And <laughs> this is so unfair to kettlebells around the world. Totally unfair. <laughs> like if you're a chef and you cut yourself with a knife, do you throw all the knives out of the kitchen? Yes. Yeah. No, yeah. You, yeah. you know what? Hey, a, a good craftsman always blames his tools. <laughs> no, a good craftsman takes accountability for what he's doing. <laughs> Joe slipped. He dropped the weight. It's not the weight's fault. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's been a it was a waste ball for being too heavy. Uh, okay. I'm curious how much it weighed. I mean, if you had to guess, like, are we talking a 15 pounder, 35 pounder? That's the first thing that came to mind for me. Knowing Joe, he's a beast. I'm going to say it was probably a 150 pound kettlebell yeah. that he was just throwing around like it was a tennis ball. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's doing his one arm front raises. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, but it, it's been a great question. And a lot of people have asked me this. It's been sort of a debate in terms of left toe better than the right toe for a right hand pitcher. And I honestly, I think it can work either way. So for me personally, my experiences when I had injuries on the right side of my body as a right handed pitcher affected me more or excuse me, affected me less than injuries I had on the left side of, of my body. I was not a particularly drop and drive type of pitcher, you know, pushing off that back leg like a lot of people talk about. Um, I was more of a get tall in my stance and then 
let my body and everything fall, keep my hips closed, keep everything closed. But I was more falling towards home plate as opposed to dropping and driving. So for me, when I had I had foot, I had toe problems at one point. I had a, a really bad ankle injury at one point. Um, I had various stuff that would go on on the right side of my lower body. I was able to pitch through that a little bit more for me. When I had problems on my left leg and I had a knee problem for a while, I got smoked with a line drive one time on my left knee. Um, whenever I had issues on the left side, it was more of an issue because that's where I was landing. And if I knew when I land that I'm going to have pain or discomfort, I would automatically, my body would already start bracing for it and make adjustments in my delivery mm -hmm. so that I would land a little softer, land a little more differently, close my foot, open my foot, shorten my stride, whatever it was that my body felt like it needed to do on its own to take away that pain upon impact. And that messed, that was the thing that messed me up more than the other side. Now, that being said, I know other guys who it's the opposite, where they really use that backside and they're really driving off of it. And to have something happen with their toe would, would be a problem. One other just, and I don't want to get too far into the weeds, but what I have talked to a few guys about this spring training, before Joe hurt his toe at all, were some guys that were making an adjustment of getting off of their toe on their push-off leg. So there were a couple of pitches in camp who were getting on their toe, and when they would get on their toe as they're lifting their leg, right, um, it would cause their body to rotate differently and then, and then rotate out more, and they were getting more rotational with their delivery. And so what they did is they basically thought about putting more of the weight on their entire foot instead of just on, the, on that toe. And by doing that, it allowed them to stay over their, over their back leg a little bit longer. And it prevented that rotational uh, lower half flying out op open too soon. It allowed them to plant and have everything driving and being more linear. So um, again, I guess to me, that would support the thing of less on that right toe for right hand batter, especially if you want to have good mechanics because guys are getting off of their toes more and more on the landing side. So kind of a long answer to say it's different for each guy. For me personally, the left would have been more of more concerned to me and something that I would have to be more careful of. And I go back to, you know, if you want to historically look at a guy, Dizzy Dean, uh, a great pitcher, you know, way before our time, but it was sort of the, the, the story that I remember as a kid of, yeah, he got hit by a line drive on his toe, his landing foot. And he was never the same after that, Whether it had to do with that. Who knows? Um, all that being said from what everything we've heard about Joe, a, he's tough. B, uh, I think the injury was about as good as could be. Not, not wasn't super heavy, heavy duty damage from everything I've heard. So he should have a fairly quick recovery. We know he's not going to try to come back too quickly and and disrupt his delivery to cause arm problems down the road. Um, and and this kid's tough. So I think he'll be back as, as sooner than probably some people are predicting. Yeah, Dizzy Dean in the Gas House game Cardinals, though. I think medical technologies have evolved a bit over <laughs> 90 years. So they will we'll, we'll be okay there. No doubt, no doubt about it. Back then, uh, I don't know what they remember those little spray cans, of the, the cold spray, and the trainer would oh, have that. Just on rub some dirt on it. Yeah, that's all it was. Rub some dirt on it, you'll be fine. I, I think their their medicine back then was probably the whiskey bottle, as much as anything. Mm, I it's guess good, it's good medicine. It's good medicine. <laughs> Doctors Beam and Daniel, you're uh, you're walking in. And, and <laughs> exactly. Uh, Scan, this has been a, a pleasure as always. Uh, thanks so much for doing this. I wish Derek could have joined us. That would have been great. It would have been nice to have Derek involved in this conversation as well. We only got partial Derek today, but even partial Derek is, <laughs> and he's got a presence about him. His spirit was with us even when he wasn't on the screen. So you bring it Partial Derek is still too much Derek for most people. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Uh, 
Thanks as always. And uh, enjoy spring training. Enjoy your time at Peoria. We always enjoy uh, your coverage. Um, what is your Twitter follow, your Twitter handle off the top of my head? I can't remember it. Hey, scan. Hey, scan. Duh. How did I not remember that? Uh, at Hey, scan on Twitter. If somehow you're a Padres fan, you're not already following Bob Scanlon. What are you doing? Uh, but at Hey, scan, um, always great uh, content and perspective. And uh, you do obviously a fantastic job on, on the TV side as well. And just uh, can't wait for the season to get going. Um, if for no other reason that we get to see you in the clubhouse, which is always a joy. You know, guys, I, I totally appreciate you inviting me on. It's always great to talk ball with you guys individually. When I see you at the ballpark, Derek, you and I have been doing it for shoot, man, but almost 15 or 20 years now yep. for uh, talking baseball and having great conversations. So it's, it's always a pleasure to join you. And the two for one is even better. And I can't wait to see you guys when the season starts. Absolutely. Enjoy, uh, enjoy your time in Arizona. Thanks, guys. There are we'll very see you soon. People, I will say, know literally everything about baseball. And you fire any question from Andy, no matter in the left field bleachers, about what it is, and they will have a thoughtful answer to it. Mm -hmm. Bob Scanlon is the guy. We're all learning. We never know it all, but I always learn when I'm talking to you guys, and uh, I always appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Scan.